Hey, 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 what's up, everybody? This is a guest, Cleese Davis from GearWorks.com and the E2KG Network podcasting channel on YouTube, as well as the Rounding Off Infinity Gaming channel on YouTube. Here, back with another episode of What's Your Issue? I'm going to take the time to uh, slightly adjust my camera here. Um, this is our weekly comic book review show. Ample and early warning. This is a spoiler cast review type show. So we will be talking about a bunch of comics, probably anywhere from nine to 13 or so, maybe more. And we elect of our own choice to ruin those comics for you. If for some reason you've <laughs> wandered by this podcast and are insisting on listening to it without having read your books, which I wouldn't really understand why you would do that. But just in case there are those of you lurking out there that would do just such a thing uh, we're here to tell you that you shouldn't. So please go back and read your comics and then come back here and talk to us. Every week, Stephen and I get together to run through about six comic books in deep, detailed review. And then we talk through the best things that we read the past week, uh, each co-host selecting the one book that topped their uh, pull list more than any other. Then we run through our honorable mentions, and then, which could be books that we are uh, mentioning due to uh, positive reasons or due to infamy, could be either or. And then we round things out by running down our pull list for the upcoming new comic book day so that you have an idea of what to expect to hear us talking about next week. We are discussing the books that shipped Last Wednesday, the 13th of February, 2019, heading off the top of the review segment is my co-host, who is here with me, virtually, always. Yeah. And he will be talking, he'll be starting this off by talking through uh, Miss Marvel number 38, which I'm very curious to hear about. G. Willow Wilson has uh, is apparently not exclusive. I was kind of surprised to find out that she wasn't. I guess it had always yeah. been my assumption that she was. Um, she has recently picked up the helm on Wonder Woman over at DC, and I think one other DC book that's a female character, maybe not, I'm not certain, um, but I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on her graduation issue, her farewell issue on the character that I believe she started, right, uh, yes. at Marvel, uh, Miss Marvel. All right. Um, I'm just going to go through a long list of people that worked for on this book. Uh, okay, uh, so the creative team for Miss Marvel number 38 it starts with the writer is G. Willow Wilson. She's the main writer of the book. Then you have guest writers with Devon Grayson, Eve L. Ewing, Jim Sub, and Saladin Ahmed. Then for artists, they have, they have Nico Leon, Takashi Misawa, um, Joey Vasquez, and Kevin LeBran, Mickey Jung, and Juan Velasco. And the colorist is Ian Hearing. And the letterer is VC Joe Carmanga. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it for the creative team. Um, now this uh, the story of this book starts with um, 
Miss Marvel Kamala Khan, she wakes up feeling exhausted and drained. And then as she's as she's going to the grocery store, she she goes through a long monologue about how being a superhero and having trying to have a normal everyday life drains her and nobody seems to understand how tired she is. Yeah, no one's no one seems to understand how tired she's feeling. And when she arrives at the grocery store, she runs into her friends and they talk about how she's been feeling. And then suddenly a big portal opens up and pulls them in. And Kamala Khan notices that she's inside a video game world. And then in the video game world, she starts exploring it. And then she's... As she as she is exploring, she runs into all of her friends. They're, each of them, be, each of them are bought like bosses when she's fighting, and they're it's like an RPG. She just meets one friend, and you know, they're they're some they're like a boss, and she has to defeat them, and they end up joining the team after she's defeating them. So she meets each friend and fights them, and then get, they join the team and. So yeah, she breaks them from the reality serum, and once that's over, they get a memory. There's a memory of them as a child, and they've realized how much hasn't changed, and they become something more, which breaks them from the video game reality, and they go back into the real world, and everybody is having a happy, cheerful time. That's, that's how it ends. So, I uh, I don't know. If, I think I give this issue a seven point oh. I'm just trying to give it a seven seven point oh or seven point five. But um, I think seven point oh will be my final score. Um, it's just this was a very comp- complicated book. I really had a hard time trying to read it because the story did not. No, as you're reading it, it's like it's not flowing well. It's just all over the place. It's like, I mean, you can understand what's going on in the story, but there's like so much going on. It's just like the conversations don't flow right. And there's like so many different artists for each panel. And it's just, ugh, it was, <laughs> it was poorly done. I don't understand how they have so many writers and so many artists working on a 24-page book. It's just... I understand it is a 50-page book or 100 pages, but just for this many people to work on 24 pages is kind of a mess. And it just doesn't work for me. <laughs> I I think the reason why Private G. Willow Wilson did this because there was a time where she was in the hospital... And I don't know if this was going on as she was writing these books. So maybe she needed help to finish this this book off, I think. Yeah, is your feeling that this is maybe an instance? So, so things like this happen in the comic book world, right? Comic book creators are, are human beings. Things come up. Is it your feeling that sometimes, you know, look, there are sometimes that we have a podcast scheduled and we're not fully prepared or um, somebody's just not feeling it, or for various reasons, we might call 
a, a stay of execution, so to speak, on doing the show. Um, is it is it your thought that maybe this is one of those instances where maybe they should have kind of walked things back and been like, hey, I mean, my thing is, number one, this issue didn't come out on time. I mean, Miss Marvel yeah. was on my recurring pull list. And I waited and waited and waited. And I'm like, what is going on with this book? Is it canceled? Is there a delay? It's what? And finally, and I think I have about a three-month spin cycle where I'm like, if a book doesn't show up that is on my regular recurring poll list, and I like, and I don't meticulously track that in a spreadsheet. I'm just like, after a couple times, I'm like, huh, so shouldn't the next issue have been out? And then I go, you know what? If I don't see it, I'm not digging through solicits and figuring out what the heck is going on. I'm just going to pull it. And replace it with something else. That's what I did with this comic. Like, if if it was gonna be as late as it was, and it was at least, like I said, at least three months late, maybe four. Do you think this is an instance where maybe? And I, and I get it. Like, she's moving over to DC. There wasn't gonna be another opportunity for her to do a farewell issue. But do you think this is a an instance where maybe they should have given it to a different writer or a different creative team and let them do that final? do that issue before the new creative team walks on or I don't know. I mean, was there anything that could have been done to fix this? I don't know. I do see that, uh, Saladin Ahmed is in this book and he's the, the, the writer for the relaunch of the series. He's also, he has also some writing credits in here. He writes, uh, I think he writes, uh, cause it does it, in the book, it does show the number, the page numbers. And I, I remember. I think it's the last page where where they see the their, the children version of themselves in the classroom. Yeah, I think he wrote that part. And did you also say Al Ewing was on this book? No, it's Eve Al Ewing. <laughs> Eve Al Ewing. It's it's a different. I guess. Oh, okay. Has, yeah. Huh. Okay. She has the same wow. last name as. Yeah, Al Jim Ewing. Zub was on here. Yeah, it's just really, yeah, really weird. I don't know, man. Yeah. So your 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 final score for this was a seven point zero. You said, yeah, it's just um, there is some interesting things. I do like the design of the the characters when they are like a a boss battle. I do like the atmosphere of the of it being a video game. It just seems weird that. At the end of the book, you don't find who the hell put them in this video game world. You don't find that out. And it's just like they just get into this portal, get out of it, and it's like, yay, everything's fine. It's like you're not just questioning why you just got sucked into the portal and got into some alternate world. Yeah. And that's just run through your mind real after (laughs) you get back into the real world. It just seems kind of weird and. Yeah, it's they a very. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. And they don't find out who put them in there, and it's just, it is weird how this the kid that works at the store he gets sucked into the portal, and he's not in the whole story. And then when they get back out, he's not even there. It's just like, did you forget there was one character in there? Yeah, it's it's a very <laughs> weird, like it's a it's a it's a very unfortunate swan dive, right? This is arguably, I think we've mentioned this before, this is arguably one of the most significant creative works that has come out of Marvel as a, as a launch of a new character, arguably maybe in two, three, maybe four decades, um, certainly the most important in the last few years. 
Uh, Kamala Khan is a culturally has quickly skyrocketed to being a culturally relevant character that is recognizable. And I mean, and she has not yet made an on-screen appearance in a television or a movie. And non-comic book fans like know who Kamala Khan is. Um, well, she has appeared in a few cartoons. Okay, okay, okay. nothing further than that. So it's just it's just a weird way for the originating writer to 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 go out um, in a book that is so significant. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know what more there is to be said about that. Let's talk about Winter Soldier because I actually read that one. I didn't read Miss Marvel. Oh, I just wanted to say I'm <laughs> I'm glad that G Willow was in time. Uh, gives her time out of this series because to me I feel like she was running out of ideas. Her writing wasn't going so well in the later books. Like she had a f- strong beginning but and the middle and it's just th- towards this the end of Miss Morrow's run it was just wasn't working. It just so I'm right. hoping Saladin actually does a better job than she do- she was doing in her later years of the book. Yeah, and, the, and you know those things happen, right? Like, not everybody can be a John Byrne or a Dan Slott and sit on a book for you know six to ten, uh, six to ten year run, and 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 rarely waver, right? Or, or really get into a rut. So um, that's I that's, give her props though for writing the book for like I think like three or four years. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So yeah, all right. I had a good time with it. That's all. Okay, cool. Uh, why don't you talk to me about Winter Soldier number three, or at least get us started, because I definitely want to get in on this conversation as well. Yeah. Um, let's start with Winter Soldier number three. The writer is Kyle Higgins. Um, the artist is Rod v- Rias. And the letters is V.C. Clayton Cows. There's no colorists or or inkers listed. Just like that. Um yeah, this is uh, this is Rod doing uh, his own inks and uh, and doing his own colors. Okay. Um. So yeah, this story starts off after um, Winter Soldier or Bucky takes RJ takes in last he takes RJ into his home from the last issue, and then uh, Winter Soldier is talking with Sharon Carter and. Tony Stark about RJ as Tony is repairing his arm. Then after that, Bucky talks to RJ as he's going to bed and talks about how he's feeling. They have a good night. Then um, RJ goes to a counseling session with Dr. Samson and RJ has some weird conversations about how he's unconvinced about him being a psychologist because he has uh, gamma radiation and there's anger issues and stuff like that. So, yeah. And then after that, later that night, Doc Samson goes over what he got, what information he got from RJ with Bucky and Sharon. Then as that's going on, um, RJ looks into Bucky's diary. And then the next day, Bucky is talking to RJ about how he could start a new life and he doesn't have to have the life that he was brought into. And, and they're talking outside. I think they were um, food shopping or something like that. See, so they were talking about that stuff. And then 
Bucky gets a phone call, and it's it's a phone call from his a friend of his asking for a protection because someone's going after him. And Bucky and RJ, I mean, Bucky asks RJ to join in, and he, he said yes, and they arrive at the friend's place, and when they're talking, getting things set up, Spot appears and starts attacking everyone. RJ tries to grab Bucky's friend and escape the house. And then Spot is beating the crap out of out of Winter Soldier and RJ gets his arm and goes in there, tries to save his life and give and Bucky reattaches his arm to take down Spot. They end up taking him down. Then uh, Bucky talks to Sharon about what was going on. Then Bucky and talks to RJ, and they have an argument about how he lied about how his life can get better. Because um, RJ mentions that he read the diary, and it was not what he was been told when he went to go to the shopping, and he had a new having that talk. So Bucky finds a way to convince him that that he wasn't. So he didn't really lie to him. It's just he wanted him to be more confident that he can actually do anything about his life, that life can get better, and that there's sometimes you have doubts that life isn't better. So after Rikasami and re- after they had that talk, um, they return home and they run into RJ's father, um, his real father, and the issue cuts off there, ends there. So I decided, I decided to give this issue an eight point five. I, I really did enjoy it. There were some nice. It was like some good conversations about what Winter Soldier went through as he was the times that he was an assassin, that he was mind, when he was mind controlled, and he. It's nice to see that, um, that Bucky's able to talk to. RJ and RJ is going through the same experience as him and I like that you know it's like I don't know for some reason to me it feels like Bucky Bucky's talking to us his son like they're like a, a father and son relationship and I actually enjoy that type of experience as I'm reading this so so I felt a little different I mean I, I agree with you that I really enjoyed the conversations. Um, I don't. I guess I didn't get a, a father a father son vibe off of it. I got more of a brotherly vibe off of it. Oh, um, and I mentioned that distinctly because uh, obviously there are analogs in this story, and there are feelings evoked of this story that it is similar to uh, conversations that you may have seen in the past of like Captain America having a discussion with Bucky. Um, where yeah. it was definitely felt more like a father-son kind of relationship. So I, I felt that was uh, an incredibly sharp nuance for Higgins to throw in there that, to me, it, it felt differently. Um, do you know, is is Higgins the same guy who did the Black Widow run a, a few years ago that had similar art to this? I don't know. Um... 
Yeah, I'm not sure either. There's <laughs> there's a there's a number of these books that uh, that I think Rob Rice has done that have yeah. uh, this feeling. The Electra book from a few years ago also kind of had the same kind of feel to it. Um, but at any rate, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the art. Um, yeah, the art is good. I liked it. Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a fan of Rod Rice's. I'm not like a super like our super huge rah rah fan. Uh, what I find really particularly interesting is I feel like he distinctly colors his covers differently than the interior of the comic because I wouldn't have thought looking at this cover, um, like I, I feel his interior art. It's it's definitely a thing of a very particular taste, right? It's it. like not everybody's gonna like it, right? Um, it's yeah. kind of the, the soft pastel kind of color um, of, of effect. And in a lot of comics most recently, I have kind of been bouncing off for this because it, it kind of, it gets very close to feeling like it's a, it's a color palette in a very specific spectrum. Like this, it's, yeah. it's a very blue color palette and those monotonish color palettes. I haven't been a huge fan of, um, but, but I do like Rod Rice's art. I, I particularly noticed, did you notice when, now RJ goes into the room to read the diary. How the how Rice and this it's the same artist. I mean, as far as I know, there's not yeah, a different artist. Say anybody else? I mean, he he cuts to a completely different style um, that is a little more abstract uh, and not quite as um, as soup. I, I guess I would say soap opery or. Uh, he has a very distinctive lens uh, on on portraits and and very specific on like facial features, but 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 in the room reading the diary, that one page, um, it's a sharply different artistic style. The color pops a little more. He plays with the with the shading and the lighting a little more uh, distinctly than he does on the other pages. And I thought that was really remarkable to kind of take that one page of RJ going in and reading the diary and setting it apart in art. Um, I, I can talk about a ton of things in, in art, but but uh, the one thing I want to mention here too is it's also interesting just the experience Rice is going through with this. Uh, one thing that stands out to me is Winter Soldier in Marvel Comics doesn't really, to me, have a very distinctive face, right? Like, yeah. kind of when Cap is drawn, even though Cap generally looks like kind of the all-American boy, uh, Caucasian male, um, yeah. But like, like Winter Soldier doesn't really have a a lot of like discrete features that like if he's drawn standing on the street in street clothes, like the most distinctive thing about him is the hairstyling. Um, so so I just think it's really interesting that Rice, you know, from a storytelling perspective, gets right up close and personal uh, with with Bucky um, as well as all the other characters. And really is trying to, I think, give him a very defined character. Um, whereas I don't know that that's been done a lot in other renditions of Winter Soldier. Yeah, but, uh, no, it's, I don't know. Ahead. I think um, Winter Soldier looks like uh, Sam Winchester from Supernatural. He looks like him for some reason in this book. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely rock to that. Um, but it's just a good solid issue. I gave it an eight point oh, um, but it's a it's a good solid. I love I love the 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 writer's choice to um, have Sharon Carter ref and and Doc refer to him as Bucky 
and not Winter Soldier. Um, I think the last Winter Soldier romp where he was like Winter Soldier out in space in the wake of yeah, I, uh, like that one. I can't remember what it was. It was the one they did in the wake of the uh, of the of the Watcher being killed. I can't remember what that run yeah. was called. Um, but but uh, where where he was more so referred to as Winter Soldier than Bucky. Um, so so this this looks like it's going to prove to be interesting. Uh, it's 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 unfortunate that I'm not able to onboard this as a recurring poll, um, but uh, but I wouldn't at all be surprised that I get tempted to do drop ins back with this later. Um, so you want to talk about uh, Kickass number twelve? Well, I just want to say that I did like the fighting scene with Spot. I just did not think that Spot was going to beat him up so badly. That was. That was already unexpected. Like it, for some reason, Cal Higgins gave a a challenge for Winter Soldier to fight Spot. I thought that was interesting. I like that too. And um, I also noticed that uh, I like that Cal Higgins made a joke because he wrote Nightwing in in the beginning of the New Fifty Two, and it's funny how he makes a Nightwing joke here with the Rick Grayson. Is it though? Oh, how about you have a name like Rick without the K and make it look cool and hip? <laughs> I thought yeah, that definitely was funny. D- definitely taking a dig at Dedeo, right? With that one, so yeah, <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. I'll want to kick ass right now. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, this kick ass number twelve. I was um wrong about last week. I know it's. I said that it was supposed to be. I thought this was, was supposed to be a final issue, but it's not. It's just the end of end of the storyline, and the uh, the next issue comes out in April. So I guess they take it a one month break on this on this book. So yeah, the the writer is Steve Niles. Um, artist is Marcelo Frusen. Colorist is Sunny Gao and. I mean, the letter it letters is John Workman, and the graphic designer and production is Mina Mikuli. Yeah. So um, this series is um, yeah, this issue starts with um, it starts off with the previous issue with um, patience and I mean patience or kick ass my. I'll call her. Um, she's seeing on um, Valencia, which is one of the one of the mob, one of the guy, one of the men that works for Santos. Um, he's like in a big suit of armor, like like some type of juggernaut ar- looking armor, and he's he comes in after after patience has a talk with Santos and his men are just on the uh, by his side, so. Um, Valencia comes in with the big suit of armor and easy. So yeah, he tries to um they start fighting and as they are fighting, uh apparently some of um Santos men jumps in the fight and they're she's trying to fight all of them at the same time and she she ends up Figuring out a way to to fight, she kills off the men with, that were attacking her, and she's she is as she's she's um ah, she's fighting 
Valencia, she's she noticed that it's getting difficult to fight him off because he has such a big suit of armor. She tried it's just it's it's harder to punch him and it's just it's like almost breaking in her hands and she tries to shoot it, it doesn't work out. So she just she noticed there's a, like a, a pool by the house. So she tries to run into the pool and he chases after her. She, she after when she goes into the pool, he I mean, after they both go into the pool, um, they're fighting in there, and he, Valencia, he ends up drowning to death because um, he can't pick himself up. It's like, the suit is so heavy in the pool. So, so he ends up being, getting drowned to death, and she just pushes him off and jumps out of the pool, and she she's trying to look for Santos because he he ran away and she ends up finding a secret passageway and goes in there and then comes out. She ends up in a desert and Santos and his men are right there. And she, um, Santos tells her to put her gun down and and tries to talk. Santos men and convince to <clears throat> yeah convince he convinced ah she convinces him to uh <laughs> yeah she convinces him to uh she convinces the men to work for her because she'll pay them much better money and she'll give them a better life than than he does and Santos ends up getting pissed off he takes uh his one of his yeah, he took a gun from his men and tries to shoot patience, but patience ends up grabbing her the gun quickly from the ground and somehow she shoots Santos in the head and then she she walks off and tells the men that she will keep in touch. And then the next day she's she goes to her college class and then after it's over, she goes to meet with her friend that's from the military and they end up having like coffee or yeah, in a restaurant and as they're talking she she gets um patience gets a phone call from her sister and uh does um patience ends up telling her dates that she has to go she so he understands and she ends up running she goes off in her car and she arrives at the hospital and she tells, I mean, the sister tells patients that um, Maurice is awake and she's like in a state of shock when she hears that from her sister. And that's how it ends. So I ended up giving this issue an 8.5. It was, uh, I think it was a great ending to this chapter. I really did like the action scenes with with kick ass fighting fighting Valencia when he when he's fighting when she's trying to find ways to get through that suit of armor and you can see that she's struggling. I do like that she just decided to uh find the pole and it just was a a way I didn't think that he was I didn't know that she would able to defeat him in and it, it did work out. It didn't seem like over the top so for me and 
I thought it was a smart take to defeat him. It was to put him in a pool where he can't um, get out because the suit. I think a big metal suit of armor could could not could sink in a in a pool. It makes sense, and I like that they put something that doesn't make sense in realist, in realistic terms. So they had a good action scenes with that and. I did like the the way she was able to fight off Santos at the end. Like she really she pulls the trigger on him really quick, and I was not really expecting for him to shoot him. I mean, for her to shoot him in the head as times go so quickly. And um, I did like the conversations that uh, Patience were having with the guy that she was that. She, she met in the military. Um, it seems like to me that I don't know. I think that they're gonna end up dating as the book goes on, and maybe get into a relationship. But that's what it looks like is leading towards to not too sure. And I I find that interesting that um her military friend ends up noticing that Patience has a whole bunch of bruises from her fighting scenes, and he's like. He doesn't talk to her. I mean, tell her that that why. I mean, he does ask her why she has all those bruises, and she said that it's coming from some like she got mugging, like someone tried to rob her, and she just fought them off, and and she just kept walking. So yeah, um, but I what I like is that the 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 friend he's smart enough to know that is. That she was actually, he's starting to notice that, you know, that she has to be lying about that incident. There has to be something more about those bruises that she's coming, getting it from. And I, and few issues before, his sister noticed it too, but she, patients lied to her as well, and the sister didn't believe it, but. I think that some at some point in time they gotta both figure out that that patience has a a double life being a being kick ass. So I'm I'm waiting to see what's gonna happen and excuse me. Yeah, and I'm wondering what's gonna happen when patient finds out about Maurice being alive because Maurice was part of the people that work for Santos and it'll be an interesting conflict. That now that she kills all Santos and see what Maurice is gonna try to do when he wakes up from being in a coma. So it's a lot of conflict going on and I'm liking where this book is going. So, yeah. Cool, very cool. Uh so would you say, I mean, the series, particularly with uh this issue number twelve, is this kind of classic and rote? kick-ass or do you feel like this variant is kind of pushing that particular property in a, in a new direction that is uh, positive? I think it's, it's taking it in a new direction because to me, this is more like a, a Punisher type feel. It's like, cause she's from the military and she's going back into the, to the, to the, to our home world. And She's she's trying to take the war that she had from military days into the war into her home world, and it's just she's been taking down men and 
killing them off. She's like, she wants to get rid of this whole. To me, it seems like she wants to get rid of this whole um, mob bosses or drug dealings that goes on in this in this world. And she's she's yeah, she seems like a Punisher like character. It's not it's not much like the other Kick Ass. It's a whole different direction for me. Because the other the other Kick Ass felt more like a superhero type of book. Oh, this one feels like a a Punisher like book. All right, well, very cool. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and talk about Justice League Dark number thirty four, and we're going to try and push it uh, as we're running a little bit behind. Um, so, Justice League Dark number thirty four, creative team of James Tinia the fourth. Uh, on story, pencils by Alvaro Martinez Bueno, inker Raul Fernandez, and colorist Brett Anderson, joined by letterer Rob Lay. Uh, the thing that stands up to me the most in this comic is it is a tour de force of detail from Bueno, and I don't think he's the regular artist, and I imagine that this took him longer than a normal 24-page comic may have, um, particularly... Um, for a comic book that I think Justice League Dark still double ships. Um, there is, I mean, there's some just, I mean, there's there's Swamp Thing going through all of his different variations of, like, shape changing. There is one scene, probably maybe my, my favorite scene, unfortunately this wasn't a portrait or landscape page, um, of the Oblivion Bar, which is not a construct that I'm familiar with. Jason Aaron put something similar in with his... Uh, rebooted kickoff of Doctor Strange a couple of years ago, um, where there was this notion of a bar where magical beings uh, hang out. And this is the DC Universe's version of it. Um, it is an incredibly detailed uh, menagerie of all these different magical characters in the DC Universe. What I love that Bueno does about it in terms of storytelling is he puts you in this bar, and there are flashes of characters who come, you know, who come across a scene or where the camera is pulled back and it's focused on members of Justice League Dark, but um, but you can clearly see you know other characters in frame. Um, what I love about it from a storytelling perspective is a lot of these characters I'm not super familiar with, and I really appreciate. You know, I think most creative teams on a book like this would have taken this opportunity in the Oblivion Bar, uh, and so hats off to, to Tinian as well to have a lot of characters coming in. Um, who, are, who are not in ongoing comics of their own and dropping one-liners and stuff and making it kind of this big um, cameo set piece. The problem being whenever one of those characters would do that and you don't know who they are, it creates that feeling that comic book readers don't like, which is like, you know, I mean, what, what, what deep like ninth level of freaking lore and trivia is this? Like who is this character and who are they supposed to be and why am I supposed to know them and why are they relevant um so they don't do a ton of that they don't trade on the nostalgia uh as much uh this is another issue in this uh in this ongoing arc of the uh, the outer kind, i think they're called or outer kind where uh, there's this yeah. notion of there are these beings who um kind of from a, from a dark magic vector who actually feed on other magical beings that uh, are enabled to come into our dimension by people simply being aware of their existence, um, which is kind of the basis as we see a monologue scene with Man Bat. Um, it's kind of the basis of magic that the, the first hump to get over in wielding magic is getting your mind wrapped around acknowledging its existence. 
Uh, and from there, it's kind of a, a slipstream of getting from that point into actually wielding it. Um, I love, from a writing perspective, I love the kind of picking out of the man bat and isolating him and making him something relevant and creating a, a bubble space of his own. Um, he mentions it himself when he pulls in the New 52 version of Dr. Fate, which I loved them bringing that character in. Um, yeah, I'm glad they put that character in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm a huge Dr. Fate fan, and I love the classic Dr. Fate, but I, yeah. like, if you're going to pick a character in the DC universe to riff on um, what their alter ego is, Dr. Fate is as good a one as any. Um, but I, I like them picking out and isolating the man bat, and he kind of, uh, much like you mentioned, where uh, where Bucky in Winter Soldier number three makes a side comment that is that is actually kind of an inside jab about uh, about Rick Grayson. Um, it's the same thing uh, here, where uh, he mentions that you know, you know, most people just kind of overlook the fact that uh, you have to be actually really brilliant to turn yourself into a man bat. Um, and that is something that with that character, like frequently never gets like addressed. The guy had to be a genius, right? Despite all of his shortcomings um, to figure out how to do this. Uh, so, so what, what we get in this comic is we get a lot of Wonder Woman and Zatanna also by themselves. Um, and I love how their relationship is warming and how they call each other sister. And it's growing from something of where it's different, where kind of Wonder Woman refers to any fellow female warrior or superhero um, as sister, as being something of slightly greater significance between her and Zatanna. Uh, I loved in this issue her calling Zatanna by her shortened nickname variant Z. Um, and I also love uh, in this Zatanna kind of getting her her dunder up, right, and kind of like just putting the smack down on people and being like, like, kid gloves are off. Like, we don't have time for joking around. Um, they go and visit Faust at one point, and she basically kind of hits him with, like, a, a Vulcan mind meld, but a very invasive format where she's kind of rooting around in his brain um, after he's been kind of turned into a drooling fool um, by the Outerkin. Yeah. Um, and she's like, I, there's no time to talk about humanity or empathy. Like, we, we have to get this information out of this guy's head, even um, if it if it's harmful to him. So it was just a really well put together issue. And like I said, the art was just phenomenal. My one dig against the art in this comic is it's so busy all of the time. Um, and yeah, it's a lot it, of of work got going on there. Yeah, it's, but it's 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 weird in its density where um, like I don't I didn't like through eighty percent of the comic like I didn't really feel like the panel work was anything exceptional just as far as the layouts themselves. Um, but but Bueno hit some some really good drum beats, uh, particularly. Uh, it's also interesting that this is the second time we see the Demon Etrigan uh, this week yeah. in DC Comics. Um, mm -hmm. But there's a wonderful uh, picture where Etrigan, uh, Swamp Thing, and Bobo are sitting around a table drinking, um, and it's almost like you're looking through like a, an archway and a door because um, you can you can see the rounded top because the panel has a rounded top. Um, to it, and I thought that was a really uh, interesting presentation. Um, and then in the part where the man bat uh, frees uh, the the recent Doctor Fate from his mystical prison, uh, it's in the shape of this uh, vase. Um, and there's four, eight, twelve, sixteen 
16 panels with artwork in it, technically like 20 panels total. Um, and that's just like, who does that in comics as an artist these days? It's pretty yeah. impressive and amazing. Um, and then we get a final splash page with Dr. Fate and the Lords of Order. Although I'm not a super huge fan of like melted helmets, Dr. Fate, I could kind of do without that imagery. Uh, but at the end of the day, I wound up scoring this comic in 8.0, um, putting it uh, or, or regarding it on as being on par with Winter Soldier number three, which I felt like had a little deeper, tighter, um, and more um, uh, just spoke to me a little bit more on a, on a, on a, on a, on an emotional level than this did. Um, th- this look, this, it's a justice league book. So you've got dozens of characters and you're trying to make all of them relevant and you're trying to give each of them their due. That's hard. Um, uh, but, but, you know, so, so I thought the story wasn't, was it quite as tight as winter soldiers, but the artwork was just, um, freaking off the chain so did you read this comic steven do you have any comments yeah, to make? i did read this comic uh, it was a very interesting book i did enjoy it as well i would give it an 8.0 too it's just um i did like the moments with man bad and it was interesting to see etrigan and i wasn't expecting to see papa midnight in there as well from constantine yeah i just didn't expect to see him there and it was interesting that his conversation with um I think with Wonder Woman and Zatanna were pretty interesting and is is strange to see that uh Papa Midnight is going through a scare moment like he's actually scared for his life from from what's going on and I like to see that perspective. It was a very good book and the panel work from this book was also great. So I enjoyed a lot of it. Very cool. So let's move on and talk about Titans number 34. So this is a book that I recently onboarded, onboarded with as in a new addition to my recurring pull list uh, just in the wake of the uh, Drowned Earth uh, event uh, with Justice League and Aquaman. Um, this was one of my favorite covers of the week, although uh, the cover um, Beast Boy looks, uh, he may as well be the Hulk in the way that he's drawn. Um, and I also don't didn't particularly care for the retro Beast Boy Unleashed uh, lettering and font looking like a comic from the 50s. But overall, the artwork on that cover, I thought, was relatively awesome. So we return to Unearth, uh, where uh, the writer of the series upon which it is based is kind of this divine architect within this world. Um, we have the Titans having assaulted it in their effort to get back uh, Raven um, but have fallen into a trap with uh, the result being that uh, Kyle Rayner and Steel are captured. Uh, we finally get the reveal from Mother Blood as to why those two characters are important. Um, and if you remember, Kyle Rayner is the only one to have traveled past the source wall. And I can't remember if that was part of the shtick of Brightest Day um, when he became the White Lantern um, or not, or if it's something more recent, but but colloquially, I kind of got where she was coming from. And, uh, and Steel apparently being the only person who can, can navigate certain uh, corridors of the universe that are managed by the source wall, um, given her recent exposure to the navigational charts. Um, and, uh, and I think exposure to an AI when they were on that other planet where they were trying to escape. I'm not sure. Exactly. Again, um, I miss 
small bits of the details, but I get the shtick of why she's saying Steele and Kyle Rayner are important. Um, uh, you know, one of the things that to me just detracts from detracted from the story in this a little bit. Uh, and at the end of the day, I still found, um, Oh no, I didn't find this issue as enjoyable as I thought I did. Uh, so, uh, one of the things that detracts from the story is we just did this thing with Beast Boy like three issues ago um, where he got out of control um, and, uh, and and Miss Martian kind of had to put him down um, and, we're, and we're leaning into that again. Um, and I just like, I'm, I love, like how many times do we need to go back and like revisit this about yeah. the notion that, you know, he's tapping in, um, to, to, to this beast power. Uh, I think one of the largest things that's really bugging me with this arc is Mother Blood keeps talking about being of the red. And we know from the New 52 that there's notions of um, uh, Earth forces that are very primal that are aligned to certain colors. But it's a different thing than like the Green Lanterns thing. It's very discreet and separate from that. And what we know from that, and they've leaned on that mythology a couple of times uh, in in you know in, in Swamp Things ongoing when he yeah. had it. Um, so so we know. So I guess what I what I'm not certain is they in Mother Blood keeps beating this drum, and I'm like, okay, at a certain point you're going to say that you're of the red, and I know that Animal Man has to show up because his yeah, whole- it was funny to show up. Yeah. <laughs> His whole shtick in his new 52 run was about how he was aligned with the red and how he was a champion of the red and learning that and discovering that. There's also no Swamp Thing in this, and we know that Swamp Thing is of the green, and, and those are the two key primal forces that we know of. And if if Mother Blood is going to be defeated, certainly Swamp Thing has to be involved. I mean, certainly Swamp Thing and Animal, Animal Man have to be involved. Um, and um, I know... Apparently, Vixen is also part of the Red as well. Because okay, just that would, America, she mentioned that. Right. So I think part of the thing that kind of bothers me with Titans number thirty-four is my realization that it feels like there need to be other characters in place, and and, and we're not going to talk about Red Hood Outlaw, but this was another thing that I ran into there. There is this weird chessboard activity that's going on in DC that feels very janky and not quite focused. Like to, to me, if you're going to evoke these parts of the story in Titans, you need to maneuver Swamp Thing and Animal and, and Animal Man to intervene in that story. But Swamp Thing's out of position because he's dealing with this Justice League dark business. Animal Man, we've only really seen as like a cameo in backgrounds and things going on in justice league. So I don't know, really know how you're going to get them to line up. Uh, but, but, it, but also completely ignoring them seems just really weird. Um, and, and like I said, we're not going to talk about red hood outlaw, but part of my problem with that issue, issue number 31 was the same thing. There were things that seemed to be of, um, of uh, of continuity significance in that that Jason Todd just like completely ignores. I also don't understand how in that book you had this very big deal in the fight, not fight, but discussion between he and Batman, 
a couple of issues ago about how he was Batman was like, you're never coming back to Arkham to, to Gotham. And then this issue ends and he says, we're going back to Gotham. So that's another thing. But my whole point is that there are pockets of this going on all over DC and look, I, I love it when we've got good solid justice league books. We've got a great book going on at justice league with Scott Snyder. Um, in, in his band of writers that are helping him over there. We've got a good thing going here with James T. and the fourth on Justice League Dark. But it feels like there's, but I've said even on the Justice League book, like, I don't know that you can have the threats that big every single issue, particularly in a comic that's double shipping. Like, ev- like every single one of these books, Titans, Justice League, and Justice League Dark in particular, they're all dealing with the end of times kind of stuff. And I'm like, Really? Like, is that going on in every superhero book across all the DC universe? Like, well, certainly at some point, like, one of them would make a mistake and the universe would end. So it just seems like the stakes are overly high across the entirety yeah. of the DC universe. While you, sure did, while in sharp contrast, you have things like Red Hood, where, like, what that guy's doing doesn't seem to have relevance to anything, right? And, the, and then, I guess, but then, he, you know, over there, he makes an illusion that he's going to get involved in this Heroes in Crisis thing, right? So you've got Heroes in Crisis, you've got Doomsday Clock, you've got all sorts of craziness going on in the Justice League books uh, and Titans, and you're like, man, stakes seem really high in 2019. Yeah, it's very chaotic with the DC world. Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> I so, understand where you're coming from. <laughs> so specifically uh, on, on, um, on, on, on Titans, uh, it just... Uh, it was fine, Um I just felt like it, it needed a bit of a tweak. Um, it, it felt like they were too rapidly maneuvering characters around. Um, in, yeah. in this issue, we, we get rid of, again, this divine architect um, who can kind of shape the whole world. And it's, I'm like, they just start having him kind of wielding his powers as he, you know, wielding his powers at all in this run. Um, and then we immediately off him. So I just don't really understand what he was supposed to have been as a device uh, in this book. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and again, you know, Diana, or Donna Troy talks about how, you know, her, her heavy hitters and how the team is up to full strength, but then like the, the people who, you know, who are her heavy hitters keep getting uh, taken down. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the issue, we have, uh, you know, Miss Martian um, being out. Obviously, you've got Kyle and Steel being gone. And uh, and Beast Boy hits this thing where he basically becomes the Incredible Hulk. So it's unclear how they're going to deal with that. Um, so I don't know. At the end of the day, I rated this issue, I think, it's 7.5. So stuff happens. Um, that's always important. You know, I say that joking. You know, you may think I'm saying that jokingly. But, um, you know, it's, it's typical that a book for me where nothing happens um, definitely gets a penalty on its final score for that, unless it's like written incredibly well in the dialogue. Um, But uh, yeah, so uh, it's just, you know, it, it it feels like they, you know, it feels like they're just maneuvering the Titans around. I, I go back and forth, but I feel like they're doing something significant with the Titans between feeling that way and then feeling like they're just kind of maneuvering them around. Um, much like I said with Red Hood, like do whatever you want with, you know, I feel like editorial direction on Red Hood was 
do whatever you want with that character. They just can't be in Gotham for right now because we got other stuff, right? <laughs> we can't have that character around. So um, I will say uh, the one thing that stood out for me uh, on art in this issue, um, again, the artwork having been done by uh, Bruno Redondo uh, with uh, Marcelo Maialo on colors. Um, and I may not, if I didn't run this, Dan Abner on story and then Dave Sharp on letters. So uh, what I do really like from Redondo is um, lots of vertical panel work uh, in this, in, in particular, uh, what is on um, page yeah, 10 of the digital comic where he's got a, uh, he, he's, he's got a, a, a ceiling to floor um, series of, of four vertical tiles uh, across the page um, with some of the most beautiful artwork um, from a coloring perspective. Uh, it seems like, uh, this is one where Milo just really went, went off and uh, and rendered some pretty amazing colors uh, in this uh, four panel uh, vertical slice sequence, um, and then uh, and then they do it again a few pages later with uh, with kind of slicing through a vertical stack of the heroes that are involved in the big fight, and I thought that that was pretty awesome. Uh, did you read this issue? And did you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I gave it a seven point five as well. It just it was really messy. Like it was just a lot going on in this issue, and it was hard to focus taking all of this information in. And just that, uh, I did not like that mon- the that monologue that Mother Blood had in the beginning as well. Because I agree with you, it was telling the same stuff that with the Beast Boy. It didn't give us new information, and it's just that was boring the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> that conversation. All right. And then the last yeah. book I want to go over, uh, Detective Comics number 998, uh, creative team uh, written by Peter J. Tomasi, uh, Doug Monkey on pencils, Jamie Mendoza on inks, uh, along with Mark Irwin, uh, David Barron on colors, and Rob Lay on letters. This is a comic that kind of just went back and forth for me. There was a lot of kind of push-pull of like, points where I was really into it and points where I wasn't uh, things that I think that are, that are positive that are going on in the overall story in detective is um, I will say that they, he is getting I have always looked at detective comics as being the comic where it's supposed to be less about the big flashy fights with uh, metas and super beings um, and more about, uh, Bruce really being the world's greatest detective. And so we're getting a good, healthy dose of that. Although every once in a while, it's, it's kind of strange because he just seems to make some leap with no like rationale from like step A to step B. Um, so we opened this story with uh, where we left off last issue with him showing up to dress down Hugo Strange because the path of uh, people targeting uh, people who are close to him or who have been mentors or teachers of him seems to lead him back to Hugo Strange. Um, but he gets to Hugo and determines that Strange has not been the one sending these biological shape-shifting uh, Batman avatars uh, to him. Uh, while he's there, he gets a call uh, and gets notified that Jason Blood is in trouble. And probably the coolest thing in this issue, uh, the uh, the Hellbat armor is flowing in now, you know, you could definitely say and have a couple issues with 
that whole sequence feeling very much like it's kind of an Iron Man shtick, a Tony Stark thing, uh, particularly from the movies. Um, but it's Batman and it's the Hellbat armor, so it's pretty cool. I personally love one thing that uh, that I feel that um, I'm losing my train of thought. Um, that uh, that Tomasi is doing with this issue is he's not shying away from exposition, and I give him big props for that. There is plenty of detail in here. Um, you know, I, I have never actually, I haven't seen recently um, Jason Blood and Etrigan in, like, the same comic. Like, the things that I read, which I guess it was the Justice League Dark rendition, the Rebirth version of Justice League Dark, or maybe the New 52 version of it where um, or some version of it where it was actually they were like back in time um, or in another dimension uh, and 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 they were like putting the team together and there was Etrigan in there but like you never saw like Jason Blood so it's wonderfully explained in this book I really love the exposition description of the Hellbat and how it's put together and how it's powered um, and, and you know what's significant about some of its parts Um just all really well done. Good, solid creature work in here, which is not something that I normally give Monkey credit for. His creature work over the last few issues, I felt like, has left a little bit to be desired. At the end of the day, I felt, uh, one of the things that stuck out to me is I, I felt like this is the tightest work we've seen from Monkey on this particular run. I felt like there were definitely issues where uh, there were fight choreography problems. There were, I think I've called out how you know, the Batman costume was problematic because it would be one way in one panel. And then all of a sudden he would like have a piece back on that he had taken off in another panel. Um, so, but Maki really knocks it out of the park with this, everything from like the Batman tech stuff to the uh, demonic creatures um, that are, uh, that are found throughout the book. The whole scene with um, Silas Stone felt very weird to me, and maybe it was supposed to because that wasn't really Side of the Stone. It was some facsimile of a being. Uh, and then my my final problem with this issue is uh, the last reveal character at the end. I don't know what the heck this is supposed to be. It's like a short, like little person um, version of yeah, real weird. Bruce. I don't know. I, I called it Batmite. Um, but I know it's not actual Batmite, but it looks like Batmite. I'm like, I have no, I don't know what that is or who that is or why I should care or why that's important. Um, and, and this has been the biggest problem with the Tomasi run. Well, again, you know, they're, they're doing this thing here with Tomasi that feels very similar to what King is trying to unwind over in the Batman book. So the whole thing was just weird. Uh, at the end of the day, I wound up giving this issue, I think I gave this a, uh, 7.0. Uh, yeah, it just, like I said, it. there were times where it really sang for me um, as tipping towards being something exceptional, but there were, you know, it, every time for every 1,000 feet uh, gained, I would hit the stumbling block. And I was like, ah, no, 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 now it's not doing it for me. So, um, I don't know. Did you read this comment, Stephen? And did you have any yeah, comments I, on it? I gave it 7.0 as well. And I don't know, this book is just not doing it for me anymore. <laughs> it's just, it wasn't, it's not as strong as it when it first started with Leslie Tompkins' death. And it's just, 
this this book has been getting weaker and weaker after it comes out. It's just not as exciting as the first two issues, I think. It's just um I do like the way Don uh Doug Mankey does the, the drawing for uh yeah, he does the the, the drawing of the Hellbat. That's very nicely done. I do like how he fights that creature. That's very fun to see that fighting scene, but it's just oh man, the storytelling with the you've I mean Damon finding out that it's not Hugo Strange and it's just like okay, it's someone else, and it's just like okay, what was the whole point of that whole Doctor Strange? I mean, that the whole Hugo Strange um scene. Then what was the whole point of that if he wasn't the person that was trying to kill Batman or it, any mentors? That just confused me. Yeah, this feels very much like Hush. It feels very much like some deep maniacal person behind the scenes manipulating all of Gotham's villains into these different positions and threatening. The Bat family uh, feels very much like the way in which Hush was unwound. Um, so, which again would then make this feel like something that we've done before. Um, but yeah, it's just I'm not quite certain where they're going. There are some really great bright spots, like you mentioned. There's the Hellbat. There's uh, we keep over the last few months. We have been treated to some of the best one-liners from Batman ever, um, and I love how um, the Demon threatens. Bruce with taking his soul to hell and he and, and he punches him in the face with the hellbat armor and says, what makes you think that I'm afraid of hell? And I'm like, that's a classic <laughs> kind of thing you would want to, you would expect to hear yeah. from Batman that just singularly defines his character uh, in one line. Um, so it was great. So let's move on to the best thing that each of us read last week. Uh, again, we're, we're trying to push things here on the clock and, uh, I'm amazed, surprised, floored, knocked out of my seat to see that your best thing that you read last week was Supergirl number 27. Yes, so tell was. me about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Supergirl is is written by uh, Mark Adranko, pencilers Eduardo Pensia. Um, inker is um, Julio Ferreira. Um, colorist is Fco Pensenia, and letters is Tom Lapatino. I don't know if I know this is like a lot of Hispanic names in this creative list. I'm trying to notice, but um, so yeah, this this issue is um, it starts off with um, it starts off with Xandar, which is like Xandar Cole is like a He's like a guy. He's like um, uh, type um, uh, forgot. He's a cool and um, he's on the cool and race, like the brainiacs um type of race. Uh, apparently he's with crypto and he's goes to his mother, like the Cinnadel sh- like ship, some type of big big ship, and he asks her to help crypto because crypto's injured and. And to help against the um, help fight Supergirl going against the Doctor Holcomb, which is some Nazi doctor from Earth. Now he's been he's been off Earth for quite a while, and he's been using aliens and experiments and making hybrids something like that. So 
Xandar is asking his mother to help Supergirl fight this doctor off. And as when the scene cuts off with um, Supergirl fighting, she's with the Omega Men, and she they're fighting some alien called Harpus. And Doctor Holcomb is is watching the fight from his TV screen. It's like from afar, he's watching the fight going going on. And as Supergirl is fighting Harpus, and the the people are evacuating the. The facility that that's going that's there. Um, Harpus and uh, Harpus ends up killing a child. There's a little, like some type of like a five year old ch- child. He ends up running to evacuate, and before he gets to evacuate, the um, Harpus ends up killing him, and then it en- ends up angering Supergirl, and she wants to take him down and. She ends up getting her her axe, like some type of axe and throughout the series has been like sentient that she found. And she gets her axe and she's about to like stab the like cut the alien down, but one of the people from Omega Man stops her and tells her not to kill a thing. And she decides not to she's she realizes that this is not her being a killer, so she decides not to kill an alien. And she ends up walk, walking off with the Omega Men, and the slaves end up going to the ship, evacuating the the, the facility. And Supergirl runs into um, she 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 ends up running to Starfire's brother Ryanar, and they have a talk. And also, there's also one thing I forgot that went on is that uh, when Zentar is talking to his mother. Gandaleo is her name, I noticed. And uh, they have an argument about helping Supergirl, and Crypto ends up, no, as um, the mother ends up fighting Zendar, they have a big fighting scene there, and Crypto comes in and saves him, and they decide to walk off. And it cuts off to Supergirl with the, with the action scene with Harpist. I, for, I just forgot to discuss that part. And um, the Mega Man takes the Mega Man are like taking care of the slaves that they saved, and Supergirl figures out that those people that they just saved were actually clones of her. That is, and they they started attacking everybody in the in the ship, and that's where it cuts off. So, um, to me, I gave this issue a nine point and it's just. I like what's going on in the book a lot. It's just a lot of nice action scenes and I really like I really like the the art that Eduardo Pencia is is doing here. It's like it's very nicely detailed and um it's just a lot of going on and I did like the the action scenes with I mean, I did like the conversations that Zandar had with his mother, and it's very kind of emotional. And I, I started to understand that maybe Zandar is actually having some type of feelings for Supergirl. That's the vibe I'm getting from from him. And I wasn't expecting. I don't know if that was kind of over exaggerated with crypto saving. Um, 
Zandar because he looked like he was actually hurt and he had the oxygen mask. So that was kind of weird, weird in the story, but the action scenes with Supergirl fighting the Harpist alien, it was just very well nicely done, and it's just <clears throat> I do like that Supergirl was getting angry when she when the when the alien kills a child, I w- and she really gets this emotion and she wants to kill the the thing, which I was hoping that she did end up killing the alien. I kind of because the, the alien kills a child, and it's just to me that's the right <laughs> that's it's okay to kill someone that kills a child, and I know uh, there's one thing I do hate about comic books is how they try to feel sorry for. For someone that did something very hurtful and disgusting, like a violent thing that a normal person wouldn't do, and they just try to forgive them for that. That's one thing I don't like about comic books, but I guess I can understand and see that point of view. But I just don't agree with it. Um, but yeah, um, so it was a it was a very interesting book, and I really enjoyed it. So I'm hoping to see more as the book goes on. And I was happy to see the Omega Man evolve in this book because I haven't seen Omega Man since the time Tom King wrote it with Kyle Reitner. It's nice to see them in here. Very cool, man. So for me, the best thing that I wound up reading last week was Thor number 10. Um, by Jason Aaron, artist Mike Del Mundo, one of my favorite artists, uh, particularly as of late in the last two or three years when he arrived on the scene. Uh, colors Mike Del Mundo doing some of his own colors, but also being assisted by Marco D'Alfonso uh, and letters by Joe Sabino. Um, so this, uh, you know, one person mentioned it on Twitter. So I mentioned on Twitter, you know, that, um, that this was the best thing that I read the past week. Uh, made some other comments uh, and wound up, I think, getting like a hundred, like different engagements on that tweet um, of people who agreed and retweets, and some people who disagreed, and so on and so forth. Um, but uh, this is the story of the continuing teetering towards war um, <clears throat> amongst the realms, um, and uh, and Thor returns home. He is not yet worthy enough to hold Mjolnir, um, so he's having uh, the dwarf constantly fashion uh, new hammer variants for him, and then he goes out and he gets in a fight that hammer always inevitably breaks, and so he has to come back. Um, And when he comes back this time, he runs into Odin, who is kind of uh, drowning himself uh, in sorrow and alcohol, um, and what starts off as just a discussion between the two actually winds up breaking out into a no-holds-barred fight between the two. Uh, that one comment I was starting to mention on Twitter was about how one person, um, I couldn't tell if they were angry or if they just mentioned it was a thing. And they mentioned that, you know, on the cover it shows Thor and Odin um, clinking drinks together, sitting on the Rainbow Bridge, uh, you know, drinking a beer between father and son. Uh, stark contrast to what actually occurs inside the book. And normally um, I feel, I, you know, I call a book out if the cover was a bait and switch. I didn't necessarily feel like this cover was a bait and switch um, because again, um, Thor doesn't really spend, 
you know, he, he you know, he, he, he comes in from other duties as a side. So, um, uh, at any rate, I wound up giving this book a 10, which I've only ever done with two other comics in the six years that I've been reviewing comics. Uh, it is a great story that speaks to fathers. It is a great story that speaks to sons, um, in any variance thereof or in between, um, you know, what, what was great again, you know, this is an issue where Jason Aaron, just as I mentioned, Tomasi did, uh, doesn't shy away from exposition or, uh, or, you know, the new version of what thought bubbles are. Um, lots of the, uh, of the, you know, on inside voice, uh, um, allusions in this comic refer to how number one, Odin had an abusive father and was raised by the hand, so to speak. Um, but also how, he wants more than anything to express to Thor that he's proud of him, that he loves him, that he cares for him. Um, but he has been so ingrained by his own father to, to, you know, to be, to try and inspire his son by um, being sarcastic about his performance, right. Trying to spur him on and being locked into this model of a personality that he doesn't really want to be, but can't, bring himself to express himself in any other way to Thor. It is a torturous, dramatic, um, e e emotion-evoking, compassionate piece of writing um, that uh, that I felt was very appropriate, that it happened to happen in issue number 10, um, as uh, as that is what I also scored it. So, uh, Stephen, did you read this comic, and did you have any comments on Thor number 10? Um. I did read Thor. It's just I'm not enjoying it as much. I just uh, <laughs> I do like the the parts where Odin is talking with Thor and they have this crazy fighting scene. I enjoy that part, but I just don't like the series where Thor is every time he in the, in, in the every time he fights, he's getting a new hammer. It's just that that's part of the kind of annoys to me in the book and um I don't know the whole Loki with with his father with the frost giants kind of threw me off. I'd rather you just focus on um Odin and and Thor in this particular issue because to me that was like the strongest point for the, the book itself. So yeah. Okay, very cool. We are way over on time. We're pounding towards an hour and a half. So what I'd like to do for the remainder of the episode is just list uh, the books that are in our other two segments and honorable mentions and uh, next week's polls, if that's okay with you, Stephen? Yeah, it's only three honorable mentions. Okay. Yeah, you want to go ahead and uh, run, th run down yours? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's Captain Marvel number two. I gave it a... 9.0 cuz I mean that's a book that's the second book that was the best week for me. But I ended up talking about Supergirl because it was much more fun for me and I talked about Captain Marvel before so I want to talk I want to talk about Supergirl this time. So um the second one is Age of X-Men Next Gen number 1. I gave it an 8.0 and Electric Warriors number 4 I gave it an 8.5. That's it. Okay, and for me on honorable mentions, I already talked about that I'd given uh, Winter Soldier number three an 8.0, as well as Justice League Dark number 34 an 
I know it was the wrong number. Uh, it was Justice League Dark number eight. So I looked in the issue. It was not 34. You made a mistake there. You gave it Titan's number, I noticed. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Um, and then uh, do you want to run through your polls for next week? Yes. Um, Age of X-Men, the amazing... My post is Age of X-Men, The Amazing Night Call, number one. American Carnage, number four. I know I forgot to put the number there. Uh, Avengers, No Road Home, number two. Batman, number 65. The Black Order, number four. Black Widow, number two. Catwoman, number eight. Doctor Strange, number 11. Friendly Neighborhood, Spider-Man, number three. Guardians of the Galaxy, number two. High level number one, which is a vertical book. Um, Hawker Reigns number one. Encourages number one is a value book. Um, Just League number 18. Love Romances number one, which is a Marvel one shot of one of those and um, books back in the 60s. Um, Lucifer number five. Miles Morales Spider Man number three. Naomi number two. Old Man Quill, number two. Return of Wolverine, number five. The Unstoppable Watch, number five. And Wolverine, Infinity Watch, number one. Thank you. And uh, who, who's the publisher on American Carnage? That's Vertical. Okay. All right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I apologize. Uh, I have been calling Justice League uh, issue number 34. It is actually issue number eight, uh, as yeah. you mentioned. Uh, which indicates to me also, which I hadn't caught, is that it is not, therefore, double shipping. Because uh, it kicked off at the same time as the Justice League reboot, which has twice as many issues at this point because it is double shipping. Um, so next week I will be reading Batman number 65, Justice League number 18, uh, Nightwing number 57, Catwoman number 8, Exo Man of War number 24 by Valiant Comics, as well as Incursion number 1 by Valiant. Um, and then uh, selecting from Steven's list for our crossover issues, uh, I'll be reading American Carnage and Love Romances, number one. Uh, thanks so much, everyone, for joining in for tonight. I certainly appreciate you. Thank you, uh, Aaron, for swinging by in the uh, live chat and uh, lurking on the episode and checking us out. Um, for anybody else, if you uh, do swing by and watch the episode live or watch the archive version of this on YouTube, uh, please feel free to like the video and subscribe to the channel. Uh, if you want to give us any input or feedback, probably the best that way to reach us is by uh, mentioning a comment uh, to us on Twitter uh, at E2KG Network, all one word. Uh, on behalf of the E2KG Network, uh, GearWorks.com, my co-host, Mr. Stephen Laura, that's going to do it for us this week. Please tune in next week for episode number 20, where we will be talking about the uh, comic books that are shipping this week, the 20th of February, 2019. Until next time, take care of yourselves. That's going to do it for us. We are out of here. All right. Later.